Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Before we get to today's show, a quick reminder that this podcast is free for everyone and supported by those who can afford it. So uh, if you have found this podcast a useful companion during 2020, and you'd like to see it continue through 2021, I would invite you to go to plantyourself.com slash gift. If you are in a position where you have the means to support something that means something to you and hopefully uh, you think is doing good in the world. You can use PayPal or Patreon. You can make a one-time contribution or become an ongoing sustaining patron of the show. And if funds are too tight for you to show your appreciation in a monetary sense, you can still leave a review of the Plant Yourself podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. That also helps us a great deal. All right, on to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and wellstarthealth.com. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a fruitful and fertile life. So a few months ago, I polled my listeners and asked about topics or guests they'd like to hear on upcoming episodes of Plant Yourself. And I got a lot of requests for a show about plant-based pregnancy. Now, my first thought, I'm a little embarrassed to admit, is that it might be a little bit too niche until I reminded myself that every single one of us is the result of a pregnancy and that for the foreseeable future, all our descendants will continue to be born in this fashion. So I guess no problem there. Then I went to my Facebook hive mind and said, who would be a great guest for this topic? The name Michaela Carlson came up again and again, and she is a repeat guest. I should have thought of her myself, but here we are today. So Michaela is not only a PhD, but also an FPP, which of course stands for former pregnant person, who's basically amassed the world's largest and friendliest database on the science of plant-based nutrition at plantbasedresearch.org. She and I first connected when we were both collaborating with T. Colin Campbell in the last decade. She is the co-creator of the T. Colin Campbell Foundation, which produced the famously excellent E. Cornell Certificate Program in Plant-Based Nutrition, and I as contributing author to Whole, Rethinking the Science of Nutrition. What I love about talking with Michaela is her absolute dedication to truth. Maybe make that truth with a capital T. If the evidence isn't there to support a claim, she's not going to make it. When the data is fuzzy or inconclusive or suggestive but not definitive, she will be the first to point that out. And this quality is especially important given that we're talking about pregnancy. That is, a time when the results of a person's food decisions have a direct and formative impact on another human being. And with so much conflicting information out there, I wanted an interlocutor who could sift through mountains of fact and conjecture and fiction to give us the actionable lowdown on how best to eat during pregnancy. So we talk about supplementation, the good, the unnecessary, and the inconclusive, and about how to deal with uninformed pressure and opinions from friends, family, and medical caregivers. And of course, we talk about food. You've got to check out the show notes for today's episode for Michaela's bio, which if I read it would take another 10 minutes. You can find that at plantyourself.com slash 308. Before we get into today's show, a couple of quick announcements. First, if you'd like to become a WellStart certified health coach, we're offering another training starting in mid-March 2019. 
If you're interested, go to wellstartcoach.com. You can read all about it. You can give us your email and we will let you know when we open up the interviewing process. Second, a reminder that Sick to Fit, the book that I wrote with Josh Lajani, is still available for absolutely free on Amazon if you go to the U.S. Kindle store. If you aren't in the U.S., you can get a free PDF copy by going to sicktu.fit. You can also grab a paperback copy for under 10 bucks. And in a couple of weeks, I hope to have the Audible version ready for purchase as well. If you've read it and you liked it and you'd like other people to find out about it, we sure would appreciate if you could go to Amazon and leave a review. All right, you guys ready to hear about plant-based pregnancy? Without further ado, Michaela Carlson, welcome back to the Plant Yourself podcast. Hi, Howie. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me back. A pleasure. A pleasure. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. In fact, since, since we, we organized this, I wanted to talk to you about the... Um, Elmerk, the uh, Lifestyle Medicine Economic Research Council, but I think we're going to leave that for for another time. That is uh, a great, yeah, that's a great topic to dive into. Let's circle back to that and have another conversation another day because I'm also very excited about that. Cool, because like two two weeks ago, I interviewed Darina Bachman, um, mm-hmm. the you know vegan and professional management and uh, corporate awesome. management group, and so you know the. The idea of a plant-based lifestyle and the economic benefits of it for society, for individuals, is becoming clearer and clearer. And you are you are totally spearheading that that effort to collect the data and disseminate it. So, uh, yeah, it's a total privilege, and I really hope that your company, Wellstart, can be part of the like the initial force that does publish their data on those kinds of outcomes because we really need to you know, get get that information into the literature so that we can share what the, the data says. Yeah, believe me, we're not we're not sitting on anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, if we when we figure this out, we're gonna keep it to ourselves, damn it. <laughs> nope, not not gonna happen. So yeah, so uh look forward to that. But what 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 I wanted to talk to you about today is um a few months ago actually now I uh posted on the blog asking for what do you want to hear? asking for for listeners to give feedback and and a topic that came up um, repeatedly was plant-based pregnancies and the the issues that were raised were you know okay well I can if if I'm not a hundred percent sure this is the right thing to do I'll take the bullet for myself you know it seems fine but now I've got another life growing inside of me the stakes are much higher uh, I'm getting all sorts of advice from from people who may know nothing or or less than nothing, and I'm in constant contact now with the medical system. Whereas before, as a you know a healthy female, I wasn't so much. And so there's there's a tremendous anxiety, tremendous vulnerabilities, and so when I got that question, I then put it out to my hive mind. I said, "Who should talk about this?" And your name came up again and again and again, and here we are. So happy to be here. So in addition to my professional qualifications, I'm also a former pregnant person. So I have definitely a personal connection to this topic, and I can really relate to all the the concerns and just the challenges of encountering friends and family and even medical people, medical authorities who also have their own concerns and, you know, very informed concerns that they may be sharing. So I'm definitely excited to talk about this. 
Great. So, so we, we've got the uh, FPP uh, degree after your name, the former pregnant person. But before, mm-hmm. before, we, before we jump in, let, let's, let's let people know what, what else you know and, uh, and what, <laughs> what, what your more formal qualifications are to, uh, to talk about yes. this. So my PhD is in nutritional epidemiology. I have a master's in human nutrition from Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and my PhD is from Tufts. And I got my PhD after working for Dr. T. Colin Campbell for a number of years on his nonprofit, and I was part of the um, the forces that started the eCornell certificate program. And um, that had a big influence on my thinking and my desire to be involved in research and produce new information. So I'm now really happy to be um, graduated from my PhD program, but also working for the American College of Lifestyle Medicine as program director of the Lifestyle Medicine Economic Research Consortium, which you mentioned. And the mission of that project is to really promote and sponsor research demonstrating the financial benefits of lifestyle medicine. And of course, that includes plant-based nutrition. Um, And I also teach for the University of New England in their master's programs in global public health and applied nutrition. And I have a few other kind of researchy projects that happen, um, including plantbasedresearch.org, which is a part of the Plantrition Project. Yeah, that 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 website is so awesome. The only thing I don't like about it is it took away my competitive advantage. <laughs> like before, I could like pull out ma- pull out studies like magic, and people were like, "How did you find it?" Like now, now anyone could do what I what I had learned how to do. Well, hopefully, it's saving you time, and we <laughs> have some great volunteers that have come on board in the last year, thanks to the Plantrition Project and their help. So we're now trying to really input everything that's relevant. And I mean, there are really almost over like 3,500 papers that have been published with the keyword vegan. So not all of them are relevant, but that's a lot of data that I don't think people realize how much research has been published already. And there's more all the time because the topic is a really hot topic and people's interest in it is growing. Mm -hmm. And especially to point, you know, medical people to that database, because you know there's 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 lots of there's lots of studies where there's just there's of topics where there's not a lot of aggregated studies mm-hmm. you know that, that you know you might think well this is this is anecdotal but when you look at all of the points of light you know a, a picture starts to emerge yeah yeah there really is a lot and um i think it's hard because there's so many studies published in pubmed i think i'm not this isn't my area, but I think there are critiques and commentary about information overload in science. And there's just no way that somebody could read everything that gets published every year. It's just too much for anyone. But with websites like that, at least we can gather together the information that's really relevant to a topic. And for plant-based diets, um, it's actually still a manageable number of papers. So mm-hmm. someone could really um, get acquainted with the literature more intimately. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to put a pin on this idea that, that, you know, this is for another conversation because we're going to stick to pregnancy mm-hmm. today. But the idea that, you know, the big crisis in science is kind of a replicability uh, mm-hmm. crisis where I don't know if it's the things can't get replicated, but no one, no one advances their career by doing it. And I'm wondering in the plant-based community, which in my experience is so mission-driven, whether mm-hmm. there are people who would take one for the team and say, I'm going to devote the next five years of my career to replication as opposed to, you know, pushing my own career 
forward. I, I wonder if there's a richness of of community that can that can create better research than we see in other areas of nutrition. Yeah, that's a nice vision for science, and I really like that. And I hope I can be one of those people that contribute in that way. I think there are more people in school now and in training to become researchers, so I'm hopeful that that could be true. Um, for people who are thinking about that path, I would say that there's still a lot of novelty in demonstrating that you can, for instance, reduce diabetes medication or get some people entirely off diabetes medication, even if you're doing a study that's similar to the handful that have been published already. So I think there's still a lot of room for hmm. kind of exciting novel contributions to the academic space, even if your focus was entirely replication, because they're really there's a lot more data than people realize, but at the same time, there isn't a lot compared to some other topics that have been studied more extensively, like the Mediterranean diet. Huh, I didn't, I didn't even think of that. You could, uh, you could have your plant-based cake and eat it too. Yeah, I think, you, I think you can as far as making novel contributions to science. I think you really can. Cool. All right. Well, with, on that happy note, um, let's, let's talk pregnancy. So, sure. uh, so you, you sent me a, a very kindly an outline, and I noticed the first bullet is overall reassurance. So I, w I would love to know why you started with that bullet before you even um, dive into it. Yeah, well, I think it's nice to give the punchline so people know what the, the topic heading is. But I know that a lot of people have questions about this topic because there are concerns that they feel from friends and family or doctors or the Internet. And when you're pregnant... It's really a time when you become a reader, even if you weren't one previously, because you want to do the best you can, and you're kind of always looking on the internet for more information or books or other articles that you come across. So there are a lot of published concerns about nutritional deficiencies, and of course the like chorus in the background, the people who eat a plant-based, a totally plant-based diet or a vegan diet, are kind of um, pushing away a lot of the time become a little bit louder because there's a concern for not just the mother, but also obviously the baby. And people know less about pregnancy, I think, than they do about other nutritional requirements because, you know, people are only pregnant for a short amount of time. So I think first it's important to know that, you know, there are, there are some concerns which we should talk about, and I'd like to talk about them today, but people really should be reassured that it is completely possible to have a healthy pregnancy, eating a whole food, vegan diet, um, a totally plant-based diet with no animal food. And that doesn't mean that it is important, it's not important to do some planning and have maybe a little more intentionality around your eating than when you're not pregnant. But it is really possible. And even the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which is the professional society for dietitians in the U.S., um, they do have a position paper on vegetarian diets, and their position is that vegetarian and even vegan diets, um, appropriately planned, are healthy for all life stages, including pregnancy. And they have some other um, practice papers on healthy outcome, healthy pregnancy outcomes for vegetarians. And um, you know, there's a lot of research that's been published that's sort of we can talk about some of that. But in general. It's really okay, and no one who's eating a vegan diet while they're pregnant is necessarily harming their unborn baby or doing anything that's 
really risky. In, in contrast, you know, most people who eat a vegan diet are more planful and more intentional about their eating. So they're, even if they don't know much, they're probably already going in a good direction compared to many Americans. Mm. Now, I'm wondering before we get into the details, sort of what the, what is the research base? Is it uh, because you know I'm thinking about lots of other things uh, related to pregnant women we have no idea about because pregnant women are a a vulnerable population, like you know prisoners and uh, yeah. like you, there's a it's really hard to get permission from an institutional review board to do a study on pregnant women. So is, is, is that a problem? Are we, are we guessing at some point or filling in gaps? Or do you feel like the, the research basis for nutrition in pregnancy is robust? Um, I, I mean, there's a robust literature on pregnancy and nutritional needs in pregnancy in general. On vegan pregnancy, I think it's more limited. There is a systematic review that was published in 2015 on vegan or vegetarian diets in pregnancy, and the title is a little alarming. They, it says, Vegan Vegetarian Diets in Pregnancy, Danger, or Panacea, a Systematic <laughs> Narrative Review. So obviously it's kind of attention-getting. But um, Yeah, click, what, know, a they, clickbait in JAMA? Where was this published? Um, it was published in the um, – hold on here. I don't know what the acronym stands for. Let me check. The British – Journal of, let's see. I don't think this is that important. All right, no, we can. I'll, I'll, add it, I'll add it in the show notes later. <laughs> oh no, no, sorry. It's the International Journal of Obstetrics and Obstetrics and Gynecology. Okay. So it's a um, very relevant journal. So I think that the author's intention was um, to maybe investigate some concerns that maybe they had or maybe others have had. And they did include case studies in this, although they excluded case studies from pregnant women who were in situations of poverty and malnutrition. Hmm. So there were some concerns, but um, overall, you know, they found that the duration of pregnancy was similar between vegan vegetarians and omnivores. And, um, you know, there were some concerns with certain micronutrients and particularly B12 and iron. So those are two that we can talk about, but um, there isn't a ton of evidence yet because there are very few and far between people, like the population of vegans are, is very small. So to find vegan pregnant people is even more difficult. And um, I think that overall this systematic, they did their best. This ended up being a, I think they wanted to do a systematic review, but from reading their methods, they couldn't really do that because there wasn't enough information. So it became a narrative review, uh-huh. and they, um, you know, they found that there's no real major adverse outcome, and in general, it's the outcomes are relatively comparable between vegetarians and non-vegetarians. Mm-hmm. So is that is that the framing that we see among professional societies and scientists that the the question is. Is this as safe as a, quote, regular pregnancy? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the framing we see when many scientists talk about vegan diets. It's like, in my opinion, it's kind of backwards because there are so many inherent problems with how most people eat that if you ate a whole food plant-based diet or a vegan diet and you, you know, 
didn't do it perfectly and you forgot to take your vitamin D supplement, you would still be doing so much better on many other fronts. But um, that is how, you know, I think that is still kind of representative of the prevailing cultural view of vegan diets. Right. So the idea is, okay, so you want to do this, this hippie thing because you love bunnies and can we in good conscience let you do it? Is sort of the- I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's there's probably a lot of that in the medical establishment. I don't know if everyone feels that way. I think this paper is an example of how the I think these people were practicing good science because I feel like the title this is just my interpretation the title is kind of representative of the emotional feeling people have about this topic, but then in their conclusion. You know, they said the evidence on veg- vegan vegetarian diets in pregnancy is heterogeneous and scant. The lack of randomized studies prevents us from distinguishing the effects of diet from confounding factors. Within these limits, vegan vegetarian diets may be considered safe in pregnancy, provided that attention is paid to vitamin and trace element requirements. Mm-hmm. That's a very moderate, like conservative conclusion. Not scary. Right. Although it's not, it's also, it doesn't exactly reflect the, the last word of the, of the title, which is it wasn't like danger or okay. It was danger or like best thing ever, right? Panacea, cure all. Right. So maybe danger or panacea represents like the popular culture's preoccupation with this topic. And like, that's what people are talking about because we know that there are a lot of like very zealous vegans out there who promote the diet in a number of different ways and not all of them are well received by scientists. So that's, that's just something that's, that's a dynamic that exists. Right. And not all of them are received well by vegan scientists. No, not necessarily. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I understand that. Well, I don't have any problem with anything anyone says. I just am happy that I can contribute to the science myself because it's really important to measure things so that, you know what you're talking about and you know that you're not making something up. Right. But I'm, I'm imagining someone who, like you says, like is not a really a reader, is not going digging into the scientific literature, but is part of our gang. Right. They mm-hmm. maybe they they maybe took the eCornell course or mm-hmm. they've read all the books. You know, they've gone to plant stock. They've done mm-hmm. the things and they're they're immersed in this culture of, of course, being plant based or vegan Mm-hmm. is healthier than anything else. And then they all of a sudden they smack up against a totally other paradigm. Like, Ooh, is this safe? Like that must, yeah. that must be, uh, I think that's hard. And I think that, that happens. Yeah. So I, I would like to speak to those people. And one thing to think about, because I feel like one of the, mm, I wouldn't say it's harmful, but I don't know if it's entirely accurate all the time. Like, I don't think we know enough to know, but there's this feeling among whole food plant-based people that if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, like you don't need to worry about anything specific or any nutrients, specific nutrients at all. And like for the most part, that's almost certainly probably true, but it's not a hundred percent true and not for all nutrients. Like we all know that you've got to take B12 supplements. That's just the case because you're just not going to get enough. Even if you, even if you eat like UV exposed mushrooms, which you probably heard about that, like those contain B12, but it's not enough for what we need. So for people who kind of in this community eating really well, probably, um, you know, there are some specific 
things that you should pay attention to, but you don't have to be really concerned or throw out the sort of comfort level you have with, you know, eating a variety of whole foods and not counting things too much. And like, that's generally still possible in pregnancy with a couple exceptions. Okay. Yeah. Great. Uh, so we're, uh, we're, 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 what bullet are we on? Are we, are we still okay. talking well, about, let's talk about, okay. So there, there's some like nutrients that are pregnant women need more of certain nutrients because you're growing a body and a brain and a skeleton and a placenta in the first trimester. And so um, there are n nutrients that you need to pay attention to are vitamin A, B6, B12, folate, vitamin C, E, D, copper, iodine, iron, selenium, and zinc, and then also omega-3 fats, the long-chain EPA and DHA. So those are important for anyone who's pregnant. And... Um, it really doesn't seem like vegans have much to worry about for most of those, but I would say that B12, D, iodine, iron, and omega-3 fats are something to pay attention to when you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, so we can like talk about the specifics, but that's, that's kind of my list of what I think is important. Okay, so these are all um, nutrients that, you're, that a pregnant woman would need more of? Or... You will need more of them, mm-hmm. And you'll need to, you know, so for B12, like vegans are more at risk of low B12 as are vegetarians, as are older adults, because um, you start to lose production of intrinsic factor as you get older, which is part of the absorption and digestion process of B12. So it's not just vegans who should take a B12 supplement, but really all old, older adults should. And it's even possible that some omnivores should. Anyway, if you're pregnant, you know, the baby does need B12. And like some of the um, symptoms of deficiency will come on more quickly because not only are, is the mother using her stores, but then if you're not in, taking in enough, the baby is drawing from the mother's stores. And generally, the body will sacrifice the mother's health for the health of the fetus because it's much more important to not have deficiencies when you're growing and developing um, in utero. Because if you have deficiencies in utero, that like it's more likely to lead to bigger problems later as compared to an adult that was replete with those nutrients for a long time and then suddenly you don't have quite what you need. It's not as serious. So um, anyway, for the health of, but for the health of both the baby and the mother, you know, you do need to make sure that you take a B12 supplement. I know a lot of people eat fortified foods, and I do too, and that's good. Um, it is still important to take B12 and to make sure that you're remembering to do it at least a few times a week. I like to take a liquid one. People have different supplements they like. But I think it can be easy to forget. Like, I certainly forget my B12 sometimes. But when you're pregnant, you really need to not forget it. <laughs> Pay attention. So I can keep talking, but I just don't want to make sure I I don't want to like talk yeah. for too long without you saying something. <laughs> oh, you're you're such a good interview subject. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, occasionally, occasionally I have to like wave wave my arms and maybe do semaphore to get people uh -oh. to take a breath. To, yeah. Um, well, so I mean the, the the question is of this of the the two lists the long list of nutrients to pay attention to and the shorter list of of nutrients of concern for mm -hmm. vegans. Um, could, if, we were, if we were flipping this, if we were in an alternate universe in which 
plant, 100% plant-based was the norm. And some people were, were considering having animal products and processed food. Mm-hmm. What, would, what would the list look like then? Would, they, would, they, would those people, would we say, oh, you've got everything taken care of? Or would there be deficiencies or um, you know, too much of something that, we, that they could worry about? I mean, honestly, if someone was eating an omnivorous diet, but it was whole food, I don't think you'd have any concerns with um, deficiencies in pregnancy. If someone was eating processed food and they were replacing the micronutrient-dense foods like fruits and vegetables and whole grains and beans, um, then you would be concerned about possibly a lot of deficiencies like vitamin A, folate, vitamin C, vitamin E, some of the minerals, and certainly getting too much saturated fat and total fat and salt. And, you know, like a lot more women now are overweight or obese when they become pregnant. And so weight gain during pregnancy is, I think it's, I think that I see a lot of um, confusion around that for many people who I just speak with socially. I think people think you have to gain a lot of weight during pregnancy, or that being pregnant means you have sort of like a pass to eat whatever you want because people have this idea that you have tons of cravings and like, that's certainly real, but, um, you know, the weight gain, I I think many people do gain too much weight during pregnancy. And, um, so anyway, if, if somebody was eating a diet that was, if like the, if the alternative diet was the diet that included animal food and processed food, there would be a lot of a lot more concerns than the short list that we have for vegans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, so, um, what should be aside from supplementing with B12, which we should, which we should, yes. which, which we should all do. And, um, which like Dr. Greger points out, um, you know, costs about like 20 bucks a year. Mm-hmm. Um, what what else should we should pregnant women and and their feeders and yeah. shoppers do <laughs> to cuz cuz you know no nobody eats selenium we eat food right so we eat food. Th- right, th- right. thinking again you know thinking you know you and I are both huge T Colin Campbell fans and uh thinking hol- holistically uh mm-hmm. is this a matter of supplementation of getting this stuff you know from from pills or is it a matter of eating with more attention yeah, so some of it is a matter of eating with more attention. And selenium is not one that vegans really need to worry about. But vegans should worry about B12, D, iodine, iron, and omega-3 fats. So with B12 and D, it's probably a good idea to take a supplement, particularly for vitamin D if you live in the Northeast or a, a, a latitude where you don't get as much sun exposure or you have darker skin and you're inside a lot. And I think that like the prenatal care standard of care does include blood tests at certain points in the pregnancy. And if someone is eating a vegan diet, even though, you know, this may open you up to conversations you don't feel like having with your doctor, it's good to tell them that you're doing that. Because I think, like for me, I do like to get my blood tested once a year to know what the B12 and D levels are. And I know that not everyone feels like they want to do that. But Personally, I prefer to have that information. And when you're pregnant, you you need that information even more. So if you are um, getting your blood work done, then you can make a decision about what to do. And that's um, – so with iodine, you know, that's also important for a fetus that's developing. 
And there is now, this is like sort of relatively new, but there is now some information, some data that vegans actually are, they do tend to be low in iodine. And I think that it's possible that there are a lot of people now who are not buying iodized salt because they are buying sea salt and they're maybe not eating seaweed and they're not eating fish. So there are lower levels on average. There was one study published um, actually from Boston University on Boston area vegans. And it looks like their median iodine levels are like, um, you know, quite a bit lower than really what they should be. And a similar finding was found in a couple studies in Europe, in um, Germany and Switzerland, and um, I think Denmark, I'm not sure, of vegans there. So those are all very small groups, and they were just cross-sectional surveys. But it, it does look like iodine could be a problem. So I really recommend, like, I don't know if people realize this, but you can buy iodized sea salt. So if you want the taste of sea salt or, like, the experience of having, you know, there are some extra minerals in sea salt. It can still be iodized, and I think that's—I just think that's better. Um, so that's what I do. With iron, you are probably going to have an iron test. Your iron levels will be assessed sometime during the second trimester, and at that point, if you are deficient, your doctor will recommend that you take a supplement, and you should do that if you need it. I was happy to find out that I was not deficient in iron at all, and my iron levels were normal even for a non-pregnant person. And I do eat a lot of greens and, you know, tofu's um, beans and, like, just a varied diet, but I certainly eat a lot of greens, and it was fine. Like, And I have a few friends also who are also nutrition people but actually eat omnivorous diets, and I heard from some other people, too, that they were not deficient in iron. So that's not necessarily going to happen. But that is, like, I think it is okay to wait until that blood work to see if you need to take a supplement or not. Um, so I'll pause there. The last one is omega-3 fats. Okay. So, so um, yeah, I guess a couple of questions. So, so one is I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty confused about vitamin D because of various <laughs> sides I've heard in the debate from people whom <laughs> I think don't, are not trying to get rich from it. Which is, mm-hmm. And, you know, so I've heard from people like John McDougall and Pam Popper, this idea that vitamin D deficiency is a, a, a symptom of illness rather than a cause. And that this, the, the studies they've seen have been more cor- correlative than mm-hmm. causal. And so when you get people well, their vitamin D levels rise and also that vitamin D can be toxic. And also that vitamin D isn't really a vitamin. It's a hormone that's produced in, relate, in response mm-hmm. to uh, the skin um, being in the, in the presence of sunlight and therefore taking it any form other than that is, is sort of unnatural. And I, I kind of was steeped in those views. Is, is, is there evidence to support them or new evidence to, to refute it or call it into question? That's a good question. I don't feel like I'm versed enough in the vitamin D literature to speak to all of that, but I know that the vitamin D recommendations are based on really large-scale population studies. Um, And I would not be so quick to dismiss, like, those kinds of um, nutrient recommendations. So for myself, I mean, I don't think we have any evidence that taking vitamin D supplements to the point where your levels are just replete and it's not in excess 
is harmful. I don't think we have evidence that that is harmful. Mm -hmm. And so I'm more comfortable with the idea that, yes, it's probably not the same to take a supplement as to let your skin produce vitamin D based on sun exposure. But I don't think we really have enough information now to say that there's uh, that it's more harmful to take supplements and just get to a place of adequacy with your vitamin D levels than it is to not take them at all and possibly be in the deficient zone as defined by these official recommendations. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, that's my feeling about it. I think that, I mean, those are all true. That's true. It's not really a vitamin. It is a hormone. It's produced in response to sunlight. The recommendations for vitamin D of what you should take in um, assume minimal sun exposure so you may, like for people who eat a totally plant-based diet and they're not drinking fortified milk, because fortified milk is one of the main sources of vitamin D for the U.S. population, you're, you're probably not going to be ingesting as much vitamin D, as well as fatty fish. If you don't eat fish, then you're not taking it in there either. So you're probably not eating vitamin D in those forms. Um, but that may be okay, like if you're outside a lot, you're in the sun... Um, you know, the way to know like where you end up is to have blood work done. And then if you get your blood work done and your levels are low, I don't think there's a lot of evidence that taking supplements is harmful if it just brings you up to the level of being in the normal range. Certainly these fat soluble vitamins can all be a problem if you're taking them when you don't need them or you're taking them in excess. Um, so I wouldn't recommend that, but um, that's that's my position, and I think I hope that we have more information about that in the future. Okay, thanks. And and about iron, um, is is it true that cooking tomatoes in cast iron will give you <laughs> iron, or is that? It is true that people who use cast iron to cook with do get a little bit of iron from the iron. Um, I don't know if that's the best way to get iron because, um, I mean, again, this isn't like cast iron cooking that's not really my area of <laughs> expertise but i mean it is true that you will get a little bit from it um it, you know it's not it, it it is there is evidence that if your iron levels are too high that can put you at greater risk of cardiovascular disease so so that is also a concern and um again like having having blood work done to see where you're at um, is probably a, just a good idea because there are different ways to achieve your status. Like one, one thing that matters is how much you take in. And then with iron, there's no method of excretion for iron in the human body. So you don't lose iron, but you, you only use it and metabolize it. So, um, your metabolism of it may be affected by a number of different things. And it's just hard to know how all these different factors of what people are eating, how much they're exercising, what else they're doing, what else they're exposed to, like things like these dynamics can combine in so many ways that we don't understand yet. So um, I don't think you can predict whether you need a supplement or not just based on your habits or your lifestyle. Okay. That's, that's pretty humbling, especially for, you know, for those of us who, uh, who swallowed the, the plant-based dogma that once we, we adopt this way of living, we're home free. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still a lot to that, like, especially for people who are not pregnant. And I, like I said, I didn't need to take, like, my, so I was really lucky when I was pregnant. Somehow, I ended up with a nurse practitioner midwife who was a raw vegan. 
or mostly raw vegan. And like that was not even intentional. I just ended up being assigned to her at the birthing center that I was a patient at. So I was really happy about that. But I, even with her, I noticed that she, I think, was probably way more knowledgeable about nutrition than most of her patients. And she would want to give me nutrition advice. And I felt like very resistant to it because I have this background. I wrote a book and whatever. Your ego gets all like inflamed when people try to tell you things. <laughs> but then, um, you know, I just tried to like not uh, give in to all that. And she, um, you know, she was like informing me based on her clinical experience and her extensive reading on, on vegan diets and pregnancy and, and nutrition and pregnancy. And she, but she told me like, you're probably going to need an iron supplement. But then when my iron levels were normal, she didn't make me take it. Um, or she didn't, she didn't suggest that I needed to. So that was a great outcome. Um, but if she had, if I had been deficient, I would have taken it for sure. Um, and I, I felt more comfortable with that decision based on like knowing what my actual blood work was. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so let's, we're going to assume that everyone who's listening to this uh, is going to get the blood work done. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so they're not, they're not, um, guessing, mm -hmm. um, for someone who, who wants to avoid supplementation as much as possible. Mm -hmm. What, what does in your, in your mind, a sort of, uh, you know, roll of the dice, best, guess plant 100% plant-based diet look like for a pregnant woman okay for someone who really doesn't want to take supplements at all so um with b12 i still think you should take a supplement but you could try eating make sure you eat lots of fortified foods which well, let's, really let's, let's say b12 is in the we, we, we're not okay, we're not we're not going to argue b12 uh, okay. i'll show you like how many handfuls of dirt should i eat to okay. get the best Great. All right. Fine. So you're set with B12. You're taking your supplement or you're eating nutritional yeast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you made sure to buy the one that says it's fortified with B12. Right. And, um, and without lead. Right. And without lead. Yes. <laughs> um, so for vitamin D, I mean, you should be outside every day for like at least 20 minutes with your sun, your skin exposed. And you should do that for the whole spring, summer, and fall. And then, um, Hopefully, your vitamin D levels are very replete at the end of the fall, and they can last you through the winter if you live in New York or other, like, New England states, which is where I live. And if they're not, then I'm sorry, you probably should consider taking a supplement, in my opinion, but there are other schools have thought about that, so that's a decision people have to make. Mm -hmm. And what With, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, vitamin D-fortified cow's milk. Is there a vitamin D-fortified... Oh yeah, of course. Like most plant of the milk? plant milks, yeah, most of the plant milks that are fortified are fortified with vitamin D. So I think even the unsweetened ones, like almond milk and soy milk, if they're if they're fortified, they certainly put vitamin D into it because they're trying to be competitive with cow's milk. So mm -hmm. that's um, you know, it's in there. Um, it is a fat soluble vitamin, but you don't really need a lot of fat to absorb it. So if you're drinking fortified plant milk, you're probably fine. But really, in my opinion, reality check, I don't think that a vitamin D supplement is that different from fortified foods. It's just maybe different in the quantity. But in in terms of like its nature, I don't really see a huge difference myself. Yeah, but I, I forget to take pills. I never forget to put like yeah, milk sure. in my cereal, you know? Yeah, exactly. So that's, it's like, why does it taste so dry today? I can't figure it out. Yeah. So get outside in the sunshine every day. Make sure your skin is exposed. If you have dark skin, you should be out there for longer. 
Um, you know, the Office of Dietary Supplements from NIH has really good articles for lay people and medical professionals on all the different nutrients, and they have one on vitamin D, and I think the um, recommendations about sunlight exposure are are pretty straightforward and helpful in there. So that's something to read if people want to do that and they don't want to read some of the longer pieces. Um, with iodine, I would just get iodine uh, fortified salt, so iodized salt. So, And like I said, you can get, if you like sea salt, you can actually buy iodized sea salt. It exists. Mm-hmm. So um, then, also then, eating if- lots of seaweed, that's important. And um, again, you may not get enough from that, but you may. So um, I think, you know, it's good to eat sea vegetables. They're a very healthy food. Mm-hmm. With iron, really make sure that you're eating lots of beet greens, Swiss chard, kale, collards, um, all the all the greens. And, you know, it's, it's very likely that you will get enough. And then we didn't get to omega-3 fats, so that's the last one. I really think that this is one where I think vegans who are, especially vegans who are pregnant, you should just take an omega-3, an EPA, DHA fat supplement. And I, there are many that you can get that are derived from algae. So they are vegan. Um, I think the liquid is, I sort of prefer that. You can put it in a smoothie. Um, There are different ones that have like more or less of an, of a serving size, like the EPA and DHA is in other oil. So you're basically taking oil, but depending on how big of a serving, it may not be much and you can dump it into your smoothie. And that's a great way because you're growing a brain. A lot of those omega-3 long chain fatty acids are really important in building a neural network and neurons. And you, I, I, there is some evidence that vegans just have lower levels of EPA and DHA than um, I mean, they do than omnivores, but we don't know, and people who eat fish, we don't know really what that means. We just know that the levels are lower, but we don't know if that's a problem. But when you're building a brain, um, I think you, I think it's more conservative to just make sure you have all the building blocks that mm. the body would need. Um, yeah, it's, so, like, it's like when you get something from Ikea and they have the exact number of, of like washers and you're like, just put in two more because... Yeah, because, you know, you might lose one. and um, Exactly. So <laughs> I think that it's, um, again, like we don't have, we don't really have evidence that vegan and vegetarians lower levels of these omega-3 fats are necessarily harmful. Um, and, and like vegans do have lower rates, lower risk for cardiovascular disease. And one of the primary reasons that um, these higher intakes of fatty fish or um, you know, omega-3 supplements are recommended is because that is associated with heart disease and people who have higher intakes, of, have higher levels of EPA and DHA, those nutrients are directly associated with um, risk for heart disease. So we don't know if like vegans who have these lower levels, if it's really a problem or not, but it's a very small amount of a fat. So I just think it's I just think that it's it's more conservative and it's just a good idea if you're pregnant and growing a brain um, and also while nursing that you take an omega-3 fat EPA, DHA, algae-derived supplement. I think it's a good idea. There are other people who recommend it all the time for whole food plant-based or vegan populations anyway, and I think there's a lot to that as well, but I feel certainly very confident that 
during pregnancy and and nurse and lactation, it's it's probably the best thing. Mm-hmm. What what about things like um, you know ground flaxseed or chia or hemp? Yeah, those are all important too. I mean, but they're not the, are they, they, they're not a substitute for the uh, EPA um, DHA. So the, yeah, the the issue is that they provide ALA, which is the precursor to EPA and DHA, and the conversion pathway in the body is affected by a number of different things. So we don't really know how efficient that conversion rate is among vegans. And what we do know is the end product, EPA and DHA, tends to be a bit lower than in among people who consume those fats directly. So that's what we know. But um, certainly those are really healthy foods and we should – I think you know it's good to include them. Mm-hmm. Is that basically the, either the, the, the algae-based supplements or the seeds – the only places that vegans can get EPA and DHA? Um, so they are the algae. The, okay, so vegans can only get EPA and DHA from algae-based supplements. The foods that contain long-chain omega-3 supplements, they're, they're different. They contain ALA, mm-hmm. which is a precursor. It's not EPA and DHA. It's also important. It becomes EPA and DHA, but we don't know at what rate. Mm-hmm. So... Um, flaxseed, chia, walnuts, um, a few other things do contain ALA, and that's a good thing. Um, but it's that the end product of the, those end fats that are seem to be more closely associated with heart disease outcomes, and are also like you know what you use in building neural networks. Great, great. So I, I want to dive before before we can go leave the. Uh... The details. I want to dive into a hornet's nest, and, and from the, and the from the plant-based perspective, which is: is there any evidence that a particular flavor of vegan or plant-based or whole food plant-based is better or or safer during pregnancy? And I'm thinking about like people who have you know like oh a little olive oil is not you know is good for you, um, mm-hmm. you know oil is the devil. Um, mm-hmm. SOS free. Obviously, if someone is, is salt free, then they're going to have a, an iodine issue. Mm-hmm. But you know, in, in that spectrum, is there some place that people would would tend to be happier and more comfortable? Um, I feel like it's hard to say something in response to that question that wouldn't be like kind of speculative, and that feels a little irresponsible to me. But I would be concerned during pregnancy if someone was eating no salt at all and they were also not eating any sea vegetables and they were also not taking a supplement. Mm-hmm. I would be kind of concerned but maybe more curious if somebody was sticking to a completely no oil whole food plant-based diet during pregnancy because you do like you are subject to more urges from your body about what to consume than you are typically. And I might like my common sense is it's, you know, if you're not eating junk, it's probably good to listen to a lot of that. Um, hard to say sometimes, but so, so would you, you know, would you consider saltines and, and uh, Canada dry? Well, you know, the amazing thing is a lot of people do eat like that stuff and that's all they eat and their babies are still born with all their parts. Yeah. So I think there's still <laughs> like there's a lot, there's some room for error that um, we should 
remember not to get too hung up on all the details, but if, if you're trying to go for like the optimal diet, then, you know, there are all, all these things to pay attention to and they can really, I think, help. Great. So let's, let's, let's get back to uh, the, the psychology of, of, of the thing and communication. So um, you, one of your bullet points is, is that people will get comments and concerns from mm-hmm. friends, from family, from people who are all of a sudden experts. Yes. And I think that the best way to handle those comments and concerns are to really put them through a translation filter in your mind that the person loves you and is concerned about you. And even if what they actually said sounded critical and mean or like um, they don't trust you or they're questioning your authority or any of these unpleasant feelings that can come up, really at the core, like, they wouldn't bother if they didn't love you and want the best for you and your your baby. So that may help diffuse, if you can remember that, that may help diffuse some of the like antagonism that can come up. Uh-huh. Um, and then I think that, um, you know, it can be just helpful to share something with them that they can read that's like an authoritative body. And I think that position paper from the Academy of Nutrition Dietetics on Vegetarian Diets is probably for for like a layperson who doesn't necessarily know a lot about nutrition, it's still pretty digestible and they have a nice couple paragraphs on pregnancy. And I think that can be um, reassuring and it depends on who you're talking to, but if you can share a little bit about how informed you are about the topic and like you're not just doing this on your own, but there are a lot of experts who support this um, that may help to diffuse some of the concern. Um, it really depends on the specific family or friend and like what your relationship is with that person. Like if you're not really close to them, then I don't think you need to explain yourself at all. You can just like not really answer and talk about something else. Um, but if you want the person to be on board and and if they're willing to take the time to learn more about what you're doing, I think there are some good resources that you can share that will be reassuring for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And the, I mean, the, you know, the, the issue always comes up, like, how do I deal with people? Um, mm-hmm. Which I guess, you know, it's, it's important, but, you know, for me, the issue is how do I not get, uh, you know, run roughshod over and change what I'm going to do? Because, yeah. be, right. So, um, you know, where, where can people get, you know, aside from position papers and and articles, you know, are there communities that you recommend people join? I'm sure there must be plant-based pregnancy groups on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like there are Facebook groups and um, it's good to try to find friends who've been pregnant and eaten a vegan diet. There are great blogs on the Internet. There are a lot of resources if you search for vegan pregnancy um, from people who have been pregnant, who are pregnant, who are doctors, who are not doctors, and they have been successful. And that can be really reassuring and affirming. So that's that's good. And, right. and then um, and they look at their kids like, look, he's five. Yeah, he's got they're healthy. They look great. Limbs. Like my my daughter is like incredibly healthy and um, she's smart and bright and happy. And, you know, she she's doing really well. Um 
so she, we've had a great outcome with this. And, you know, one other thing I want to mention, though, is like you do this is just part of the compassion for yourself and like people when you're pregnant you are subject to these crazy cravings so when I was pregnant I really I had probably about you know I spent some time at True North when I was pregnant because during the first trimester I was so nauseous um like all I could really eat was sour and and it's not uncommon for women to lose weight during the first trimester because you're so nauseous that you just can't eat much so all I could really eat was were sour smoothies, like an entire bag of strawberries and just one banana and chia seeds, and that was like all I wanted. Huh. And then, then as the nausea got worse, like all I really wanted was bread. So I had like at least six or seven weeks where all I really could stomach was like Annie's no cheese pizzas and like bagels, and totally not my normal diet. <laughs> Um, and I went to True North kind of at the end of that thinking I could go there and that would, I do like an eating week and that would help me kick my, kickstart myself back into a regular healthy diet with lots of greens and salad and everything. And while I, I think I went there a little too early because I was still kind of nauseous and the whole time I was there, I was dreaming about eating quiche, like real quiche. Like I was having i was like reading recipes on my phone like, from the food network like eggs cheese ham absolutely yes and i was like dreaming about quiche and i was gonna go visit juliana hever and like i was just having these fantasy afterwards i was having these fantasies of like making quiche vegan quiche with her but really in my heart what i was craving was like regular quiche i did not eat regular quiche but um i totally wanted to and I found there was there were definitely some days when I felt like urges for more like quote unquote protein foods and like I wanted I just wanted to eat tofu so I ate a lot of that sometimes and I just tried to eat lots of greens and vegetables but I mean I did eat more um yeah. but the thing is too like you don't really know what these cravings mean so well that's again it's not it's not a pass to like eat whatever you want and to like pig out, which is, you know, you kind of want to do that on some days, but, um, it's still, you know, you have to take care of yourself and, and you don't really need to gain that much weight. Like the weight gaining guidelines are for normal weight women. It's only like 25 to 35 pounds. And most of that, when I, when I, and I think I gained like 27 pounds. So after I gave birth, I was almost entirely back to my normal weight within two days. Hmm. Uh, my pre-pregnancy weight. So, yeah, so I mean, par part part of me is really bothered by your narrative because, like, there's this totally dogmatic part of me that wants to mm -hmm. explain to people that, like, if you eat health cravings are just like your body trying to purify itself, and if you eat healthy before, <laughs> you're not going to have cravings. And that oh yeah, I relate to how you feel totally. <laughs> I was super disappointed that I had these cravings. And I was like, what does that mean? If I eat so healthy, like, shouldn't I not be nauseous? Shouldn't I not have weird preferences? Anyway, what were you going to say? I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I'm interested. yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. It's, it's, it's like, you know, it sounds like this, these cravings are sort of random noise. Mm -hmm. And they're not necessarily the kind of, you know, deep maternal divine wisdom that you'd want them to be. Like, you know, I kind of want the woman to like, oh, I have I have this insight that I can't explain, but 
You know, mm-hmm. what I really want is like three collard leaves and a carrot and like this perfect mixture. But instead, yeah, you, know, you, you just <laughs> you just want, you know, white bagels and ham. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know what it means. There is some research that like more cravings, having more nausea and and like more nausea and eating like fewer, more foods turning you off may be associated with fewer birth defects possibly. Um, I'm not sure if that's really true. I've just heard that. But I think that it's hard to tell what the cravings really mean. Um, I think sometimes, like my sense of it was sometimes it was real. Like sometimes I felt like I needed tofu, like I needed it. But um, I don't think I really needed quiche. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, like from an evolutionary perspective, for most of human history, we had very few choices, mm-hmm. right? So, like most people, most people would have most women would have some craving, and mm-hmm. they wouldn't even know that there was a food that could satisfy it. Yes, possibly so. Yeah, <laughs> weird. weird. Um, yeah. So anyway, I totally I get what you're saying. Like, I just hoped in my heart before I got to that point that I was so healthy, whole food, plant based, like. I would not be sick and it would be really fine and I wouldn't have any of those symptoms. And that was totally not true. And I think, I think, um, you know, there's, there's a bigger lesson here for us in the plant-based community. Cause I've heard for, with from people who felt alienated, like they were full on in the community mm-hmm. and then they got sick, they got mm-hmm. cancer or they had mm-hmm. heart disease or they, you know, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden people were, were terribly threatened and said, well, you mm-hmm. must not have been doing it right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not true, right? People, people who do everything right can still have terrible things happen yeah. to them. People, the best people and the healthiest people can still get sick and die. And that's um, really sad, but that's just the truth. So we just don't know how these things happen sometimes. Like we have a lot of information that can help us guess what's most likely, but we don't always know. We can't always predict. Right. There's a book I was reading by, I think, Annie Duke, who's a, a professor who became a professional poker player. And the book is Thinking mm-hmm. in Bets. And her point mm-hmm. is that you make decisions based on data and, and heuristics, but you don't judge the decisions based on outcomes. Right? Like if you're playing poker and you, mm-hmm. you, you lose a hand that you should have played, Mm-hmm. statistically, you don't say, well, that was a bad decision. Right. That makes sense. All right. So our last bullet is uh, communicating with your doctor. Right. Mm, yes, that's important. Um, a lot of doctors don't really know about vegan diets. And I think this is a good moment to plug plant-based docs, plantbaseddocs.org from mm. the Plantrition Project because there are more and more doctors who are signing up on that website and they have a mapping function. So you may be able to find somebody near you. But if you can't and you are seeing um, a midwife or a obstetrician or you know whoever your primary care pregnancy doctor is, um, you may need to educate them a little bit and like that's when sharing the position paper and some resources that you can find online, um, that can be really helpful. And I can even give you a couple links that you can post with this podcast so that if people do want to download paper, like just a couple, two or three papers, 
cool. um, to share, we can make sure that those links are there so they have them. Awesome. Awesome. So I don't know, I don't know yet what the, the URL will be for this show, but mm-hmm. uh, your first name is uh, Mikaela, M-I-C-A-E-L-A, right? Yes. So if people yeah. just search for that in the search function on Plant Yourself, they will find this episode. Okay, great. Sounds uh, good. So cool. So so in it sounds like the like ideally you would have I mean you ideally or not you need to be in a partnership with your doctor. You don't want to be like constantly in this tug of war. Yeah, I think if you feel really assaulted by cr- criticism from your doctor, it is probably a good idea to find a different doctor. There are lots of doctors out there who don't eat a whole food plant-based diet, but they're not going to be um they're they're not going to be like overly critical. They'll still be supportive of your choice if they know en- enough and they're comfortable with how you're going about it. And so I think you know, when you're pregnant, it's such a vulnerable time. You feel so weird, you're really tired. It, like a lot's happening and you don't want to feel this um like you don't want to feel a sense of dread when you go to your doctor's appointments that you're going to be criticized. So if you do feel like that's starting to happen, I would really recommend finding somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right. Cool. Well, th- this feels pretty exhaustive to me. Is there anything you think um, we haven't covered that we should to help a pregnant woman and her um, her folks? Her I don't know. I think there's a lot more to probably read about with all these specific nutrients, but I, I think we probably covered most of the the major questions people have. Um, I'm really glad you wanted to do this. I I think it's important. I think a lot of people as interest in plant-based diets grows a lot of people have will have these same questions so i yeah. think it's awesome that you that you set this up yeah well you know i i, I kind of feel that you know call, call me crazy but i kind of feel that pregnancy is a fairly important function for the human <laughs> experiment yeah I, it's true i kind of feel like it's it's relevant to more than just pregnant women it's it's everyone has been born and they've been a baby so yeah i would agree there for well sure. yeah michaela thank you so much for for putting all this the, the preparation and thought into this and for for sharing so generously your uh, your research and your your own personal stories and, and vulnerabilities and foibles as well well you're very welcome howie thanks for having me and yeah again thanks for doing this all right. Well, uh, well, we'll circle back around to talk about the uh, Economic Research Consortium. And uh, so you'll, you'll be a three-peat on the podcast. Okay, sounds good. And yeah. uh, until then, uh, thanks. By the way, you're, um, you were um, outshone for most of this interview by the squirrels doing acrobatics on the tree outside <laughs> your window. So <laughs> I know we're, we're not going to publish the, uh, the video of this because the, lighting, okay. the, the lighting's not good. But uh, I, I've, really, I've really been enjoying the... Uh, the fauna. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, there are a lot of, uh, well, we have some bird feeders down there, but they're really squirrel feeders, as uh-huh. you may have encountered. Um, so we have a lot of, we have a lot of animals running around. <laughs> all right. Well, they, they were all trying to eavesdrop to figure out how to have healthy squirrel babies. Yes. Good. So, all right. Cool. Th- thanks a lot. I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Howie. Talk to you later. All right. If you found that a valuable, useful honest discussion of pregnancy and nutritional needs. Both Michaela and I would love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via the Facebook page for Plant Yourself or just email me, hj at plantyourself.com. 
And if you'd like to let the world know what you thought, you can, of course, go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and leave a review and some stars so that we get bumped higher in the search rankings and more people can find out about this show. For more information about WellStart Health and our 12-week on-ramp to health, which includes live coaching, daily videos, group texting, forum, texting with coaches, just check out wellstarthealth.com and poke around and see what you think. We're starting new cohorts roughly every four to six weeks. So if you are ready to make 2019 your year, we are here for you. All right, so today's episode was 308. So you can find the show notes and links to some of the studies we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 308. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can share this and other episodes on social media. You can write that iTunes review, or you can put your money where your mouth is and become a patron of the show which, with an ongoing contribution over at plantyourself.com. Just scroll down the right sidebar to the Patreon button where you can click to make a monthly ongoing contribution and become a stalwart supporter of the mission of this show. In garden news, Mia harvested some broccoli today, of course, the same day that I found organic broccoli at the local Durham co-op for 99 cents a pound, and I brought back enough that the cashier wondered if I was holding a broccoli party. The garlic not doing so well, looks a little uh, withered there. So we're doing our research, looking for some organic 10-10-10 fertilizer and hoping to get a, a robust crop out of the ground by midsummer. We also enriched a couple of newish beds. What we do is we, you know, but there's some people who are ambulance chasers, like lawyers who are looking for, uh, for litigants. We are tree work chasers. So we go, whenever we see a, uh, a crew chopping down trees and then feeding the limbs into a chipper shredder, we rush over, we give them a card with our address and a map and my cell phone number and a promise of 20 bucks per load. And they dump these giant piles of wood chips all over our front yard. And after two or three years of just letting them sit there, they turn into pretty much soil. And so that's what we've been uh, carting from the front to the garden and then laying out, spreading it out. And if it's not quite broken down enough, we will then just add some extra nitrogen because the carbon breaking down uses a lot of nitrogen. So we don't want to uh, steal it from the plants that we're trying to, go, to grow. In running news, I think I published the last episode before my 50K, the uh, North Carolina fat ass. I had a good time. It was three 10-mile loops, so I had two opportunities to quit early, and I didn't because I knew I'd be back in front of this microphone talking to you guys. Um, I finished slower than my other 50Ks. It was five hours and 40 minutes. Somehow I came in eighth overall. Um, you know, I should have paid more attention to the fact that Ellerbee, North Carolina is in the Sand Hills because those two words were very important, sand and hills, to my running experience. I did not manage a negative split. I still have to figure out how, to, how slow I have to start to finish faster than that. So that is an exploration for another race. All right, let's go to uh, thankity thanks time. Thanks, of course, to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use Sabali Dawn, this beautiful song, The Dance of Peace, is the theme music for the Plant Yourself podcast. Check out willridenauer.com for more beautiful Korra music. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons, as in... 
Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marabar, Whitney Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Burns, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Vulkanovsky, David Bizek, and the Steers, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolan, Manova, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Collie Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Julianne, Roland, Stu Dolan, Sarah Durkis, the Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzik, Jeanette Benham, Gila, Sarah David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorinda Vizo, Gio, and Carol Argentati. Jody Friesen, Ruth and Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Zeely, Shalemis, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rise with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergen, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R. Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corcoran, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Organ, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobble, Shell Rudless, Julian Watkins, Brito Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rosen, Diat, Julie Langholm, Hedekar, Isa Tuzawa, Connie Hayline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Aviva Lael, Heather O'Connor, Carol Jensen, Cherry Olikoski, Plant Power for House, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle, Ann, Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divich, Joshua Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Deb Casilla, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAdee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Leenan, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Cards, Diane Bishop, Billbury Elf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Tricia Adams, or Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Linda Lindsay Bayshore, Gunn Marie Hagen, and Tracy Gulledge. Woo! for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. Hey, if you become the next um, patron, I might have to do a fourth breath just for you. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Mr. Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Kinoski, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes of Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, hi Janet, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gil Lassert, David Donahue, Blair Cyborg, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carl- Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesen, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Martha Bergner, Susan Ahmad, Nolly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Dean Norton, Bonnie Lynch at Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobble, Julian Rodkins, Breed O'Connell. Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Izatuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Dan Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justin Divich, Ashwa Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Lenny Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Bacorny, Stephen Leenan, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Cards, Dean Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, and Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganshik, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sawyer Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, and Sarah Johnson for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends. <laughs>